right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? All good, my friend, all good. Woke up with a sore throat, but I don't think I've got the coronavirus, so uh, <laughs> everything's good. I should hope not. I should hope not. We definitely don't want any more cases of that because it's gonna, it's um, potentially going to stop some events and WrestleMania season's coming. So I definitely don't want that impacting travel for people. Well, I mean, maybe it could alter some travel for people who may be in the WrestleMania main event that shouldn't be Bill Goldberg. <laughs> Perhaps if the coronavirus just puts it on delay for a little while, some of these pen- age pensioners might be retired properly before it comes back around. <laughs> Well, they do reckon it take, goes after the, the weak and the infirm first, so, you know, you never Indeed. know. Indeed, but um, let's not talk about modern wrestling because it's quite depressing and it seems to be a sore spot for many people this week. Let's have a look at what we do best, and that is the 80s, although this time around we've jumped into 1990. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's the best way to see it all out. You've got the WWE actually starting to slowly fall from grace, and we've got... Uh, WCW doing what they do because I don't think they've changed much since we started watching them. Indeed, indeed. It's funny that you say that because obviously at this time um, in my life I was in England and it seemed to be like for youngsters in England around this time that the WWF was on this massive boom period. Um, Obviously greater television exposure, the advent of Sky TV and whatnot and the mad popularity of the Ultimate Warrior in England actually made it seem like the WWF was having its biggest ever boom. But yeah, sadly, when you look back through history, that wasn't the case. It was definitely about to decline. Yeah, you can already start to see that. Well, I mean, it's it's the fact that they just don't have a star that's Hulk Hogan. It's it's not a it's not difficult to see. Warrior is good, but he's just he doesn't have the. Uh, I guess the. I, I know I can't believe I'm about to say this about Hulk Hogan, but he hasn't got quite the depth. <laughs> see, it, 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 you know, you've got like Macho or Hulk. You could certainly you could ask them to do many different things. I think Hulk even proved it when he turned heel in WCW in '96 that he he could do more. And it's not a knock on the Warrior, but he is a bit of a one-trick pony. And us wrestling fans are fickle beasts. Ask Indeed. how many people really like Becky Lynch right now. Probably is considerably less than when she won the title. I I and I just watched that certain heel turn that you mentioned, uh, which I'll be reviewing in the next few weeks with Carl. So good times there all round. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll leave you leave that. You leave you to uh, review that. But uh, God, that's a good one. Mm. But I suppose we should probably tell everyone what, what we've watched for this episode. It's been a while. Um, apologies to everyone for the delay in the podcast. Effectively, what's happened is I've watched several shows and backed up for recordings and haven't been able to line up recording sessions and have had some computer troubles. So there's probably going to be a whole host of shows coming out in the next month, but there has been a bit of delay with this one. And we are watching Clash of the Champions from February 6, 1990, the Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi, Texas, which took place in front of 3,000 fans and drew a 4.5 TV rating on TBS. That one is going up against SummerSlam 1990 from the Spectrum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, August 27, 1990, which took place in front of 19,304 and drew a pay-per-view buy rate of 3.8. Some numbers on TV that uh, WWE would be killing for in this day and age for both shows. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not bad. Not bad at all, and two really enjoyable shows. Um, I definitely 
breezed through these ones. It's a little while back that I watched them now. So again, as always, apologies if some of my notes are a bit dusty and I stumble over a couple of bits here and there. But we definitely enjoyed watching both shows and this should be a, um, a more fun experience than normal, Richie. Yeah, the, I've, uh, I don't remember any kind of uh, wishing to start drinking in the afternoon to get through it, which is which has been some of the, the experience I've had. It was, uh, if I can't remember it, it's got to be good, I think, because there's <laughs> nothing to upset me. I'm, um, I'm, I've saved the drinking for now, and I'm on the um, raspberry sour ale this evening, which is quite delicious. I very rarely drink when I'm doing this, but it's so hot over here that coffee was not an option. It's 9 o'clock at night, and it's about 33 degrees. It's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> which show did you watch first? I went Clash first. Uh, ah, so did I. So we are going to go to the Clash. So without any further ado, should we head over and check out what WCW had to offer in 1990? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go do this Clash. everybody and welcome to PBS and the Clash of Champions 10. So the Clash starts out with a very cheesy shooting gallery introduction um, because its subtitle is Texas Shootout. This was really, really shit. What did you think about this opening video, Richie? Uh, when it started, uh, I gave the choice to the wife of which one I watched first because she was quite poorly. And I, I don't think this uh, really made her feel any better because it was, <laughs> it was fucking shocking. <laughs> it was terrible. The less said, the better. Um, what is good, though, is our commentary team, JR and Jim Cornette. Not bad at all, hey? Oh, no, it was... Uh, it's good. It's good. I, I think having an insight listening to Jim's theories on things then listening to him on commentary, actually, uh, is quite an interesting sort of like exercise in comparison. Indeed. And the actual... The whole team is pretty good because we've got Gordon Soley backstage and Terry Funk ringside. So he's going to do some interviews throughout the night. But what a, what a foursome that is. That's a hell of a foursome. And they've even got the Funker in a tux. Indeed. Indeed. Um, from there, we go to um, Gordon Soley with the Legion of Doom and um, Paul Ellering. I'll splice some of this in here, but needless to say, it is peak LOD in 1990. Very shouty. Very amazing. I loved it. There's uh, certainly no writing of uh, lines for these guys. No, <laughs> there nobody, might be some snorting of lines, though. Snorting, <laughs> yes. Like, right, uh, there's no writers given in them. Uh, here's your script, animal. <laughs> well. <laughs> just well. <laughs> oh, I love it. Imagine giving the LOD their script and just going, tell them, Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, the idea of some of these wrestlers like looking at what they... Well, well, we don't need to get on a sidetrack, but just looking at some of the stuff they have to say now, it's just I just can't, you know, get my head around it. So I, they go, uh, Bam Bam Gordy, or uh, they go, Bruiser Brody. Here's your script. <laughs> I just can't imagine, like, you know, someone backstage, probably Vince McMahon, going, you know, promos are good, but how do we make them seventy-five percent shitter every night? <laughs> Let's write scripts. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll write scripts that don't sound like anything that these two people would say. Aye. 
Thank you very much, Terry, and let me add my welcome to all of you who are joining us right now for the Great Texas Shootout. I've been talking to some of the wrestlers uh, in their locker rooms. The intensity is absolutely unbelievable. I tried to talk to Doom. Their masks are up tonight against the uh, tag team titles held by the Steiners, and may I just say that their silence was ominous. But I think the two teams that I'm really going to be watching very carefully tonight will be indeed the Skyscrapers and the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors are facing by far the toughest challenge of their career. Will Gordon Sully, all of Columbus Chris is going to see. We're tired of the Skyscrapers dumping our back. We're tired of all the bull. Skyscrapers, tonight in Columbus, you're going down. Tell them, Hawk. Corpus Christi! Oh, what a rush! What a rush for us! What a drag for you, skyscrapers! Oh, tell them, Gordon! Well, I'll tell you what, that action is upcoming. Now let's go back to Jim Ross. Um, we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, um, JR shills the, um, the hotline talking about Sting and some issues there. Um, I won't go into the issues with Sting because it's going to be quite apparent on this show, so we'll breeze right on through that and we go to the first matchup which is the Samoan Savage with the Big Kahuna um, who some of you might recognize as Oliver Humperdinck from earlier in the WWF taking on Dr. Death Steve Williams aka JR's boy oh JR is very happy about this situation (laughs) Humperdinck is doing uh, the Big Kahuna sorry is doing his best Captain Lou Albano impersonation um I just don't get it at all. Um, we get a weird um, Dr. Death um, clip of him in an ambulance before the intro as well, which was just strange. I couldn't quite make out what the point of that was. It was bizarre. Not bad, but it was just bizarre. I, it was. Uh, I think it was one of them situations where they were thinking, right, we've got to take on the WWF, but being the early 90s WCW went horribly wrong. Yeah. Dr. Death um, jumps him early, hits a big clothesline, a slam, and some tackles. Um, the Samoan Savage comes back with a clothesline, a hip attack before the Big Kahuna takes some cheap shots. Woman comes and sits at ringside, and then the Samoan Savage locks on the infamous Samoan nerve hold. We get a power slam for a two, and I put, is it just me, or is Dr. Death essentially a rich man's hacksaw Jim Duggan at this point? Yeah, if you put them together, the only difference you'd be able to really work out is which one smelt worse. <laughs> the Savage hits a sidewalk slam but misses a top rope splash. Dr. Death hits an impressive press slam followed by a drop kick and then a backslide for the 1-2-3. What was a reasonably good opening contest? Nothing spectacular but nothing offensive at the same time. Given that this isn't a pay-per-view and it's essentially a free match in a time where TV was used to sell house shows and pay-per-views, it's, putting in context, it's pretty good. You can't compare it to to a really good match, but given what they could have given us, I'll take it. Next up, we have a Wrestle War ad. I'm not going to lie, this was fucking bad. Oh, it was fucking awful, wasn't it? Old man rap. <laughs> Wild thing. I'm going to splice it in so people know that I'm not just losing my fucking mind here, but it was terrible. <laughs> they must They must have uh, got the rapper from uh, Vern. <laughs> Wait till they see Greg Gagne's flying dropkick. It was that, it was that bad. The wrestle, the wrestle rock rap might have been better than this. <laughs> it, it's like, oh, what's cool? Rap. Well, how old that can that be? It's just talking. 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure I could have written a bit of better ad than that in about 45 seconds. It was terrible. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to splice it in right about here. Listen, oh boy, he gather around. Wrestle War 90 is about to go down. Rick Flair, the champ. Testament to biology. Me Sting, the dream of entomology. Lex Luger, the belt, his holy grail quest. Is scheduled for an operation on Dr. Death. Road warriors, survivors from a place time for God. Plan to reduce skyscrapers to parking lots. The Steiners, they brothers, they wrestle as one. But they do not scare the brothers and the son. Wrestle War 90, a wild thing to see. Available through your cable company. Pay-per-view, excitement from T-H-E. Going down the 25th of February. And now you guys can all be the judge for yourselves. <laughs> Terry Funk then brings out the Four Horsemen, which at this point in time is Flair, Sting, and the Andersons. Um, Ole's still hanging around. We don't get to see much Ole, so it's kind of cool to see him. Um, and Ric Flair tells us Ole is going to make a statement. And that statement is basically kicking the Stinger out of the group. Um, he says they're going to end him if he doesn't give up his title match versus Ric Flair. They're going to give him until the end of the night to forfeit that title match and then they Sting tries to argue so they grab him and slap him around a bit before we go out to a commercial what did you think about this um, kicking out of Sting at the start of the show and the horsemen are in an eight-man tag for the main event what did you think about that well I mean I thought storyline wise it was good and it certainly again keeps people hooked but logically why why wouldn't you wait until he's helped you win the four the eight-man tag team with which you need four people in there and then turn on him it's like, use him, and then abuse him. That would be the horseman way to go. This just, yeah, it stood out as a little bit odd. Cool story, and if they didn't have the big tag match on the show, it would make perfect sense. But yeah, that tag match is just a bit of a, you know, it's a blind spot on the booking, I think, for this one. Yeah, they, it's it just doesn't make sense. And I think, actually, it would... What you've got is, is you know, you've almost got the... Batista and Randy uh, turns when they turned on them in Evolution, the turns that happened there. But this is they give it away too soon. I think. I think they should have waited. And you know, they're all celebrating in the cage. Yeah, we're all mates, and you know, we're gonna have some friendly uh, competition for the title. And then they turn on Flair, not Flair, Indeed. on Sting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Um, we go from a from there to a commercial, and when we come back, we see the Mod Squad taking on Z-Man and Flying Brian. Um, Gary Michael Capetta, of course, the ring announcer. I just love the way he says that. Yeah, it's awesome. I uh, the only thing notes I really took on the Mod Squad is they looked like they was hanging around the Blue Oyster Bar from uh, Police Academy. It wasn't a good look. They both <laughs> they both look like. Um, they both look like a pair of South Park characters to me. <laughs> like, yeah, just strange dudes. Um, we've got Brian Pillman hits a nice knee to start with a drop kick and an arm drag. Um, the Mod Squad. Oh God, I actually have completely misplaced their names. Um, one of them hits a monkey flip and an enziguri. Oh no, sorry, Z-Man hits a monkey flip and an enziguri for a two. Brian Pillman hits a double springboard clothesline and a backdrop. It's very um face heavy here with Pillman and Z-Man getting my, most of the offense. Oh, here we go. And the mod squad are Spike and Basher. One of them hits a face buster. The other hits a bulldog, a clothesline, and then some double teaming. 
We get a gut buster for a two before one of them locks in a chin lock. Pillman hits a crucifix for a two, then hits a hot tag after taking a double team. Z-Man comes in and cleans house, hits a crossbody, and picks up the one, two, three in, again, what was a pretty decent match. You know, nothing offensive. Um, and some quick action when the faces were on offense. Pretty good. What did you think? Well, I certainly didn't expect this uh, this level of quality from the mod squad. Uh, always watch, love watching Flying Brian. In fact, he's uh, he really is as good as sort of like people say. I know it's uh, not uh, sort of like an obvious thing to say, but sometimes uh, people get nostalgic. But uh, he was really uh, ahead of his time, actually, and this really works well. Yeah, I liked this. This was good. Um... But it can't stay that way. We go to Cactus Jack Manson taking on Mill Mascaris. And this is a match Mick Foley's written about in his first book quite a bit. Um, he wasn't kind to Mascaris, um, and we'll see why in a moment. But the first note I've got on this match is Cactus Jack is really lean here. He's, he's almost as ripped as you'll ever get. Yeah. We get some really slow chain wrestling. Um, Cactus will sell and then stall on the outside for a bit. Um, he has a book in the corner as well, which is uh, titled I'm in Urgent Need of Advice, which was quite funny. Um, really going <laughs> for that crazy vibe. Um, his offense is made to look dull by the old man, Mil Mascaris, who's basically no-selling on everything Cactus does and making a bit of a mockery of him. Um, he drop kicks Cactus Jack off the apron, who lands back first on the concrete. Um, it's just, yeah, incredible that he went for that. And then, like, he takes that bump for Mil Mascaris and a minute or two later in the match, the old fuck Mill Mascaris completely no-sells a backbreaker. Um, I just don't get it. Like, Cactus Jack is throwing himself around and Mill Mascaris can't even sell for five seconds. Um, he finishes the match with a crossbody for the one, two, three. Um, and it just says here, on my notes, utter twat, dick move of the week. Oh, definitely. The, uh, the fact that y- you look at Foley now, uh, and he was taking bumps like that for dickheads like that is completely ridiculous. You know, he, he he used it where he didn't need to when it would have had more effect against, like, Vader and people like that. It's, uh, it's just yeah, Mil Mascaris was a complete and utter cunt. I bet of all the, the bumps he took over his career, that's one of the ones he'd have taken back. And if I could take one back on his behalf, it would be that one. I'm sure there were ones that hurt more and injured him, but that was one for a completely selfish, utter fucking prick that didn't deserve to have that level of um, of, of work rate put into his match. No, and the fact that uh, he, he wasn't even putting that much effort into it anyway, Mil Mascaris, it, it's it's just unforgivable because it, it, was, it was like the AWA stuff we we watched from like the the start of the 80s where fucking one of them turns up does fuck all and then wins and like there's just no effort who's now yeah um we find out missy hyatt's going to be the new co-host of saturday night and then cactus jack attacks some member of the band that's set up off to the side of the stage and loses that fight again he writes about this in this in his book but man you've got a guy that's giving his everything to try and get over and they're just making him look like a complete buffoon yeah it it doesn't make sense because he's obviously got something it's and and the fact that well i think flair's booking at this point flair just i don't i mean he says in his book doesn't he basically i don't think flair sees anything in him yeah Oh, well, they, you live and you learn. Um, Gordon Soley's now with Norman the Lunatic. Uh, he and Kevin Sullivan have a Falls Count Anywhere match, and he wants some hot dogs. So, yeah, this is really getting me in the mood for this one. Oh, yeah, Norman versus Kevin Sullivan. It's it's 
it's just not what you need. And I, I'm like, Norman's such a creepy character in hindsight. It's even hard to take him as a face because he looks like somebody who'd hang around playgrounds. In well. I'm glad you said that because I may have been a little bit premature with my dick move of the week and I have a second dick move of the week. Um, some weeks it's hard to find it. This week it wasn't. During the entrances, Jim Cornette calls Norman a child molester. Fuck, you cannot say that on TV, Cornette. Jesus H. Christ, what are you yeah, doing? I took a note on that and I was like, woo. It's not insinuated. He uses the words child molester. Fucking hell. And now oh, they get man. upset when he when when he talks about chicken. <laughs> you just there's no coming back from that. Um Kevin Sullivan jumps Norman. Uh Norman hits him with a dick to the face. I'm really not sure what the point was. Um Sullivan goes up top but gets caught and slammed. They brawl on the outside. Sullivan just kicks the ever-living shit out of him for a while. We get a really long beat down and a brawl up the ramp. They go backstage into the women's restroom. Unfortunately, Dusty Rhodes isn't on commentary to make the most of that. Um, Sullivan stumbles out of the room and Norman comes out with the toilet seat and says the paper is out and suddenly he's the winner. We have no idea who lost. Uh, we don't know how the match ended because wrestling. Absolute shite. Yeah, this is one I wish they could um, just remove from the show. It's one of those ones you just wish got lost to production cuts. It's, I don't know. For me, it's like, I don't, I'm not against comedy and wrestling or anything like that, but I think it's got to be done seriously if that makes sense. Whereas this was too far for the ha-has. Just, and, 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 that that ruined it. You can still do it, but I, I like obviously Foley and The Rock pulled it off quite quite easily. But uh, now nah, it's just shite and designed so Kevin Sullivan could take the loss without taking the loss. Really, indeed, indeed. Um, we then go to Funk's Grill, which is effectively an in-ring interview segment with Terry Funk, um, and he's interviewing Lex Luger, who says he wants Sting's number one contender spot, and a little bit of foreshadowing there. You're probably going to get it, Lex. Um, the crowd chant for Sting throughout. Um, we get a list of allocades from Lex, which was quite funny. <laughs> um, Lex gets rolling and Terry Funk basically cuts him off and goes to a commercial break. So there's not a lot of meat on the bones for this one. Uh, no, uh, Lex is a funny one. The, the, the fact is at some point I know I get behind him in the mid nineties, uh, blows my mind when I watch things like this. Yeah. He, he wasn't peak Lex yet. No, not at all. We then go to the skyscrapers with Teddy Long taking on the Legion of Doom with um, Paul Ellering, and this is a match that um, if you if you watch the um, the Broken Skull sessions on the network and you watch the one with Undertaker, he goes into some detail about the ending of this match, and it was quite cool to go back and watch it after hearing that. I haven't seen that yet. I uh, it's on my list of things to watch. Yeah, the Broken Skull sessions and the um. The Ruthless Aggression show they've got going on at the moment are both well worth a watch. There's some bits in the Ruthless Aggression show, which, I mean, it gets pointed out online. I don't really need to go into detail, which are a little, let's say, less than accurate, but they're both really good watches. I live through the pain of the uh, Ruthless Aggression. I loved it. I hope maybe it's just me. 2002 is one of my favorite years. I, I dropped out to probably 2003 was when I'd had enough but no no I'll agree the the um, we're just going to chuck as much shit as we can at the wall uh stage while we're panicking was 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 at least entertaining 
the only thing I didn't like about that era was Triple H with the title. Everything outside of that was great. Like, I had... I loved Kane, Hurricane. Um, Evolution's Rise was pretty good outside of the... As I said, the shit with Triple H. SmackDown was incredible. Um, you know, Angle, Team Angle, the Guerreros, Benoit, yep. Lesnar. Oh, it was just some good stuff. So, definitely, I think it's an underappreciated era for me. I, uh, I'll have to go back and review. <laughs> Definitely watch SmackDown at least. You'll you'll enjoy it. Well, um, why this, not? <laughs> this match gets started with a clothesline from Hawk and a big shoulder block. Animal hits the same couple of moves. Um, we then get a we get a quick exchange with me, Mark, and Hawk. Hawk runs his shoulder into the post, and then Dan Spivey works on the arm. Me, Mark hits the old school, but at this point it was not called that, obviously. And we get a reverse clothesline into an armbar, which was quite cool. Goes for the old school again, but he gets tossed off the ropes. Animal comes in and clotheslines both of the skyscrapers, hits a power slam. We get a doomsday device, but Me, Mark comes um, off the top with a steel chair to break up the pin. Paul Ellering nails Teddy Long. We get a big brawl. A spike pile driver and chair shorts from the skyscrapers, and they um, clothesline Paul Ellering as well. And then Dan Spivey wears out both of the LOD with the chair. Um, that's the story Undertaker tells on the Broken Skull session, where apparently he was meant to just hit them each once, and they were meant to bail out the ring and sort of hightail it. And instead, Dan Spivey kicks the shit out of both of them and just walks out the company afterwards. Brave move, Dan. Brave move. According to Taker. Dan Spivey was one of those people that was not going to be questioned when they got backstage. <laughs> and if Taker says that, so, he means that. I would dare say so. Um, we get a Doom promo here, which I'll splice in. Um, and of course, they're talking about their big match with the Steiners, but it's just really good. I, I enjoyed Doom, and it's one of them tag teams. I kind of wish there was more to watch of them because I actually, yeah, I've enjoyed going back and seeing them. <laughs> this is what it's all about. The bomb. The bomb drops on the Steiner Brothers in the class. The titles come to do, and we are due. And guess what? The Steiner Brothers, you are due. Feel the wrath. Enjoy the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought they uh, they they brought a certain a, a different sort of like vibe while they were wrestling, and I thought the whole mask thing up until this match was uh, was a really clever idea. I, I got the feeling, not knowing much backstory, they were basically playing that, uh, well, we know who they are, but we're not going to say who they are, or we're going to guess. But even then, I'd say it was just, uh, look, they just look different. That's not meant to be unintentional. <laughs> you know, no, I, no, no, that's... Um... You're right with that because JR says their um, their identity is the worst kept secret in wrestling, but doesn't name them. Um, I guess the storyline here is that everybody knows who they are, but this allows them to do like the twin magic spot, maybe. Uh, potentially, uh, and also it just—I don't know—it's it's just like one of the things that uh, it's the the little thing. I know they're just wearing masks, but it's like putting demolition in a bit of bondage gear. It just—it just looks different to everyone else who's around at that point. Yeah, it's, it's more menacing, isn't it? It's a, bit, it's a bit like the difference, I guess, between Demolition Smash and Repo Man. They're the same guy, but yeah, the look makes a big difference. Yeah, especially because they're big jack dudes, and uh, both of them, or certainly Ron Simmons, isn't known for his, uh, his light touch when wrestling. <laughs> That's great. Um, we get 
and of course it is, um, sorry, Steiners defending their titles up against Doom's masks before we start this match. I should mention that. Uh, Scott Steiner hits a power slam and a German suplex because he'll suplex absolutely anybody. He doesn't give a shit who it is. Um, JR refers to Doom as Doom 1 and 2. As we said, doesn't mention their names. Scott Steiner drop kicks both um, and goes for the masks early, but Rick Steiner, um, he doesn't get them, and Rick Steiner comes in and hits a nice overhead belly to belly. He'll also suplex anybody. Um, we get a big clothesline from... Um, oh, fuck, I've completely blanked on the other... Um, no, um, from Butch Reed. I completely blanked on his name then, not Ron Simmons, Butch Reed. Um, and we get a double team on Scott, and then a huge spine buster for a two. A double backdrop and a pile driver, but Rick makes a save. We get a neck breaker for a two before Scott fires back with a Frankensteiner and makes the hot tag. Rick comes in and hits Steiner lines, a power slam, and takes the mask off Butch Reed. This distraction allows him to roll him up and hit the one, two, three. And Gary Capetta tells us that Doom number two now has to unmask or be suspended, of which he does reluctantly. And yes, of course, it's Ron Simmons. So I really liked this, and I would love to see these two teams go at it again if, if the opportunity arises. Oh, it was great. It was potatoes after potatoes. Uh, they, they brought the chips. It, <laughs> Absolutely, it was, they did. It was great. And Bronson's actually, A, already looks old as fuck, and B, looks really <laughs> pissed off that he has to take his mask off. Like, as if he didn't know that that was the finish. He's like, what do you mean, you fuckers? Rod Simmons has got the male equivalent of resting bitch face, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I was I was entirely waiting for him to just walk off without taking his mask off, and uh, then read online while I was doing a bit of re- uh, reviewing that he was like, "Yeah, Ronson was supposed to take his mask off, but he didn't, and no one wanted to argue with him." <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, we go out from here to a commercial break, and when we come back, we get a commentary recap of the four horsemen angle. Solely's with the three horsemen. I'll splice it in because we get some classic Ric Flair where they're basically talking about what they're going to do to Sting if he doesn't make a smart choice. Um, what do you think about the horseman promo, Richie? Perfect. You know, it's everything you need in a horseman uh, promo. Uh, certainly, like. Ric Flair's prime Ric Flair at this point, and uh, anything that's got on in it, is, I, I can listen to for hours, even if he just says one word. In fact, I could watch him for hours in the back of a promo. Indeed. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, it's time for our big um, eight-man tag steel cage match. Um, it's Buzz Sawyer, the Dragon Master. Sorry, it's actually a six-man tag, isn't it? Um, this was This was not at all um, easy to follow. I think Sting was meant to be in and he was replaced with one of the other horsemen. Um, it's Buzz Sawyer, the Dragon Master, and the Great Muda taking on the other three horsemen. Um, they didn't really explain this very well through the show, which has led to the confusion. And my style, of course, is to watch it and review it, not to take notes and learn about it first. So here we are. Yeah, get... um, and... Go on. We have to retract our comments about wrestling logic from earlier then. Yes, yes. Um, His sting was meant to be in this match. That's what, I guess, made me think it was meant to be an eight-man. It confused me a little bit because I didn't say who, you know, the three men going into it were. But we get We Want Sting chance anyway. And effectively, the turn at the start of the night has made this hot, heels-chasing, babyface stable main event into an all-heel main event when nobody in the crowd likes anybody. Yeah, it's heel versus heel is... uh probably the hardest combination to get people to watch let alone putting them in a cage where somebody's supposed to get blood and therefore sympathy yeah so like we said at the start like wrestling logic dictates you'd have sting in the match and then you'd turn on him right but actual writing of a tv show logic 
says you wouldn't ruin your main event in the first segment. So, yeah, just um, not really great booking here. I mean, the angle itself is good, but poorly timed and executed. What would have made more sense is have Sting and the Horsemen, who are one face and two heels versus three faces, and then have Sting get more and more upset with what the other two guys are doing, uh, fueling the already dissension within the Horsemen uh, that Sting's a goody two-shoes and they don't want him around. Plus the title shot. So, um, when we get started, Superman Buzz Sawyer fights off all the horsemen, which I bet was the only time he's ever been made to look like that much of a boss. Um, It's lots of punches and cage shots all around. This is not a good match. Um, They're tagging in and out as well, which I always find stupid in a cage match. Muda does get a decent pop, and Sting comes out and attempts to climb the fence, um, but faces from the locker room and officials stop him. Um, Oli nearly kills Buzz Sawyer with a backdrop because he's too close to the cage, which was pretty shitty. Sting tries again to get up the cage. Um, Buzz misses a splash off the top, which wasn't great. Um, Think of Sting. um, And then I think Sting, this is the moment here where he tries to get back in. He does his knee, and this is what puts him out from winning the title off Ledger in this time period. We don't really see it, but you know like this is when it happens going up and down the cage. Arn hits a DDT for the 1-2-3, and that's the main event done and dusted. Um, Ric Flair then comes out the cage and comes and jumps on Sting, probably not knowing that his knee was busted and not helping him too much. And credits run as they go off brawling. JR shills the hotline if you want to find out what's happened. Oh, not a bad main event. I, I wasn't expecting a lot. I thought the cage looked pretty wank. <laughs> and I, I guess, I mean... I, I, it was difficult to get into due to the, the dynamics in there. Then you had Sting coming out. So actually the match was kind of irrelevant because you were just waiting to see what Sting was going to do. Yeah, I mean, not the best main event, but there was some good wrestling throughout this show. And again, like keep in mind, it's not a pay-per-view. This was actually free TV. So overall, I was pretty happy with this show. Um one of the better WCW or non-WWF shows, really, that we've watched on our journey. And obviously, 1990, uh, you could see WCW has made some good strides towards the WWF. They'll keep taking steps forward and then backwards throughout the rest of their existence. But for now, this was pretty decent. I enjoyed this. I can see why, when you watch this WCW product, why they went out of business 10 years later when they tried to change it to be the WWF. Because this is an entirely different beast. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, overall, good show. We enjoyed it. Um, Not too bad, but yeah, definitely still some of the flaws and everything are there to see. So that'll do it for WCW. That one's in the bag. Um, We're going to head over to SummerSlam. But before we do, Richie, have you got any um, merchandise you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I've not been the world's biggest merchandise fan. It's more, uh, the the biggest nostalgia, I suppose, is uh, when I finally found wrestling on the internet. You know, when I first found that first forum and I was like, whoa, 
people talk about this shit. Uh, and then my uh, continual demise into uh, wrestling negativity by reading the shit that people read online, which uh, I think has actually ruined more wrestling for me than actually has helped make it better. Never watch WrestleMania with a forum on pressing F5. It's horrible. <laughs> what? Let, okay, let's do this. You've actually brought up something really interesting that we've never talked about on the show. What was your first website that you found? Uh, it was WrestleCrap. Oh, wow. The first one. The first one I ever found, I got told about it from... This was early days of the internet. I didn't have it at my house. I went to my friend's house and used his computer until he got sick of me being antisocial and sitting on his computer. <laughs> and the, the first one I got introduced to was a little site called knowyournews.com. Oh, I don't think I've heard of that one. Yeah, I think it, there's a guy... It got rebranded. The guy that ran it was called Jimmy Van, and I think it changed to jimmyvan.com. This was years ago, but that was the first ever wrestling website I used. And then there was another wrestling fan in my in my grade at school. We weren't friends, but he was obviously always ahead of me. And then I think the next thing he told me about was PW Torch, which I went on to, and then after that it was PW Insider, and I had a membership with them for probably about 10 years before I, I stopped caring. Yeah, yeah, I never really got into that kind of... The PW Torch stuff. I guess it's mostly because I'm tight. <laughs> I I I'd never subscribed to the Torch. I didn't love the um, the layout of the website, um, but PW Insider it actually was one of those sites. And you'll remember this being an IT guy that had so many pop ups and basically aids for your computer that you either had to stop going to it or pay the sub. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you log on and then all of a sudden your entire computer screen's full of fucking pages. I tell you what, though, I got I got some I got some sweet deals on Viagra. <laughs> well, yeah, you would have done. Oh, and you could have gone and clicked on the link to see Kane in his green DX outfit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some good stuff. The early days of the internet, it was great. Uh, people probably listening to this show have no fucking clue what we're talking no. about, but sure. I've, what the what what I see? I don't know how I found the link, but it was actually I, I found WrestleCrap because it was. Uh, the top 10 manliest wrestlers, but it was like done kayfabe. So it was like Rick Rude's the kind of man who drinks your beer in the morning, steals your wife at night, and then drives off you in your car the following morning and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is, this is humorous. I shall click the link to the forum. And then I was screwed. I, I liked Wrestle Crap, actually. I had, um, I got the Wrestle Crap book and the death of WCW both for my brother back when he was a wrestling fan. He loved Wrestle Crap. It was his jam. Um, I think he might have, he might have a membership for there to this day, even though he doesn't watch wrestling, strangely enough. But um, yeah, around the time the books came out, I think I, I really fell out with the website. I think the, the new posts just got fewer and fewer. And like a lot of things in this day and age, it became more about making revenue than putting out free content and fair play. But it just meant the website became less interesting to visit. Yeah, and then they split off the forums completely, and I don't think I've been back to wrestle crap in years. Yeah, there you go. Interesting day. So, yeah, if anyone has any interesting memories of wrestling forums or websites or how you first got introduced to wrestling on the internet, hit me up. I'll still forever remember, and since we are in memorabilia lane and not talked about any memorabilia, um, I remember the first thing I ever ordered off the internet was a WWF.com order from America and I had mad reservations about ordering something online but I got a Dead Man Inc. shirt and I don't remember what else I got but that was the big thing that I ordered when I first got introduced to online shopping and I ordered that on dial-up so beat that. You must have been fucking excited when that turned up. Oh, oh man, don't get me don't get me started. It was from my um 
from one of my paychecks from working at KFC, believe it or not. Oh, KFC Undertaker t-shirt. Does it get better? I know, I know. Free, free, um, free chicken every night, and the ability to order off WWF.com. I paid fifty dollars for the NWO DVD before wrestling DVDs made their way to Australia. Some dark days, but some good days all at the same time. You see, it's opening the package. These kids in their Amazon, they don't understand now. Nah, there's no fucking prime shipping back when I was ordering stuff. That Dead Man Inc. shirt probably cost me the best part of a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you certainly. That's why you'd be precious if anyone got near it with anything that might cut it, stain it. Yeah, and I was an absolute sight wearing that with a pair of blue jeans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Something All right, well, for the ladies. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was not in a relationship at that point in time. <laughs> I find it hard to believe. Oh, no, I was a fucking state at 17, 18, 19 years of age. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. The World Wrestling Federation presents a double main event. The Immortal Hulk Hogan versus 476 pounds of the earthquake. Plus, World Wrestling Federation champion, the ultimate warrior, against ravishing Rick Rude in the confines of a steel cage. So, SummerSlam 90, as opposed to The Clash, opens up with an epic uh, video introduction and Vince McMahon, of which you will have just heard then. And we go into our commentary team, also pretty cool, of Vince and Roddy. I actually always really like this commentary team. I think it's probably because... The first pay-per-view I ever watched live was the 1991 Rumble, and that was a commentary team. And then, of course, um, no, I don't think, actually, we didn't have Vince on WrestleMania 7. But yeah, the 91 Rumble, and I think Survivor Series 90 as well, which is a video I've watched quite a lot, had that same team. It's great. Vince nearly blows his ring out on this entrance. He's full power. I I love it. Nothing beats a good Vince intro. Yeah, it's just... just starts it like this is the WWF. <laughs> we then go to a match I was really hyped for, but um, obviously for reasons we'll get into in a moment, didn't live up to the expectations. It's the Rockers versus Power and Glory. Yeah, I don't mind uh, Power and Glory. I think that it's it's quite a a nice little mix of personalities. Awesome finisher too. Yep. Um, so we come out, we get the introduction, and Sean's actually walking pretty gingerly on the way out. And then Hercules comes out and nails him with a chain and then goes onto the knee and takes Sean out of the match before he even gets in the ring. Um, I, I thought it was a bit sus when he was jogging out and they tried to do this angle, but Vincent Piper did explain throughout the match that he already had an injured knee and they just attacked it. So that was pretty clever commentary, actually, to cover that up a little bit. Um, Janetti cleans house, but it's 2v1, and Slick distracts him, and then that allows Power and Glory to take over and double-team. They are both in the ring for a while, which is weird. Sean keeps trying to get up, and then Herc will just take out his knee. Herc hits a press slam on Marty, um, and then we get the we get a Paul Roma backbreaker for a two. Janetti gets a slam and a top-rope fist, but Hercules makes a save, and then hits a huge clothesline, which Marty does the flip on. And then Power and Glory hit their amazing Powerplex finisher for the one 2 three. Nice little match, especially because it's um, in comparison to the one you've paid to watch it. It's—I uh, I don't think I'd feel cheated. 
No, it was pretty good. Um, and then her, just to get some real heel heat, works over the knee a bit more after the match. Um, and we do a stretcher job, so pretty good. Um, Piper's a bit harsh on, on Sean and, and Marty for this, um, but it is what it is. He's still probably learning his, the ropes as a commentator a little bit. Um, after that, we get a Mr. Perfect promo, which is quite decent, but he overdoes the perfect thing a bit. I'll splice it in and let you be the judge. Take you to Sean Mooney. Now, Mr. Perfect, it was less than 10 days ago that you accepted the challenge from the Texas Tornado to defend the Intercontinental Championship. Now, have you ever prepared for a title defense on such short notice? To be perfectly honest with you, I haven't. You see, being absolutely perfect does have its problems. Because when you're a perfect intercontinental champion, challengers are few and far between. And let's face it, everybody knows I'm perfect in every way. The perfect body, the perfect mind, and the perfect record. Mr. Perfect, is it wise to accept a challenge from someone you know so little about? Wait a minute, pal. I'll handle this one. You see, I know a lot about this Texas tornado. Because if you've seen one, you've seen them all. And you know why they call you the Texas tornado? Because you've got your head in the clouds. And if you've got your head in the clouds, pal, you don't have your feet on the ground. You see, a Texas tornado never really does any damage because you can spot one coming a mile away. Sure, they may look ferocious, but all they're really good for is kicking up some dust and maybe turning over a few mobile homes in some hick trailer park on the panhandle. <laughs> Remember this, nobody beats Mr. Perfect. Nobody. Mr. Now, uh, as, as I said, while I was watching some of these, uh, I often have my wife in the room watching along well when i say watching along just just uh sort of like putting up with it and then she looked up and went my god i can see helmet because mr perfect's trunks are the tightest i've ever seen you can see plums oh. and helmet helmet <laughs> actual helmet on a promo and he's not wearing no jock strap he's not wearing a cup that's like amazing said, the missus goes my god i can see helmet and did that make her want to keep watching or stop watching? I think it was more sort of like aghast at somebody be wearing that. <laughs> Mr. Perfect. Sorry, I can't get this out. Mr. Perfect's helmet. No, Mr. Perfect's outfit in the early 90s. That's what my mum wore to the gym. And it just brought it back for me then. That's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Probably didn't have the same problems Mr. Perfect was having <laughs> while he had the... If not, then she's been lying to me about a few things for yeah. a long time. Yeah, but, um... just... I, 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 honestly, I wondered if it was a rib on the entire world watching. <laughs> I love it. It's too much. <laughs> Perfect, of course, does have a match. He's defending his Intercontinental Championship against the Texas Tornado, who cuts himself a pretty decent promo before this. Um... Storyline going in is that Perfect's accepted this match on short notice and he's a little bit cocky. Um, Heenan has white hot heat with the crowd here, though. Um, it's a bit of a slow start in the ring, but the crowd are really, really into this match. They are digging it from the off. Yeah, yeah, they want to see, well, Perfect lose. Indeed. Um, we get a hip toss from the Tornado and then a slam. He tosses Perfect out of the ring. Perfect comes back with a hip toss and a sleeper. 
Slingshot from the Tornado and a Claw. He, the crowd are mega hot. He hits his discus punch for the one, two, three, and we get a proper explosion of happiness from the crowd. They go nuts for this title change. Absolutely awesome. Uh, Mr. Perfect Cell is ridiculous for the, the finish. At no point can you tell that uh, Texas Tornado's only got one foot. No. Uh, and actually, obviously, the, the tragedy which befalls them later on, it's not that much further on in time, uh, is what it is. But I, I think he could have continued on this run if he had uh, probably less demons, Miss uh, the old Texas Tornado. Yeah, um, he was a big favourite of mine as a kid. Um, just always really enjoyed his stuff. Um, I was really sad that his run didn't amount to more than what it did. I know he was around for a couple of years, but he was so in and out. Um, it never really got... This was probably the high point, I guess is what I'm saying. He had a decent 1990, but that was really it, and he was done. Yeah, yeah, it's... Well, I mean... There's an old different podcast to be made over WCCW. Uh, yeah. and the uh, Von Eric boys. It's definitely not being done by me because I couldn't watch much more of that. <laughs> no, I uh, I watched the uh, documentary. Is it the tragedy of or whatever of WCCW? And I was like, I, this is this is just miserable. I, um, you actually gave me a really good idea for some more stuff for you and I to record going forward after this, um, which we might talk about at the end of the show. We've not quite finalised it yet, but it was certainly not world class because I would have told you to fuck right off. <laughs> yeah, and there's no chance I'm going back there. <laughs> we go from the the big match to Gene saying Sapphire is not available for an interview. Um, just a bit of a weird one. And then we get um, Bobby Heenan barges into the area going absolutely nuts. Some good stuff from Heenan. He really was one of the best characters in the history of wrestling, no doubt about it. Yeah, he's just... It, it's it's a part of wrestling that's sorely missed is uh, that kind of character because I just think not only is he great at what he does, but he's also great at uh, spinning continuity between people because he's managing so many people so he can weave stories and everyone everything feels connected. Definitely. Um, we go to our next match, which, which is Sherry versus Sweet Sapphire. And I've seen SummerSlam 90 a few times over the years. It was one of them hard-to-track-down VHS tapes for me as a kid, but I did find it and loved it. Um, and I, it's only occurred to me in taking notes for this show, Richie, that I should have gotten the hint that this match wasn't going to go ahead by the fact that Sherry was in the ring in heels for it. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> um, we get... Three times Sapphire's music plays, and then Wurzel comes out to say that we're going to get a forfeit. The ring announcer gives her 30 more seconds. Sherry counts down the last 10 for some good heel heat, and she wins by the two greatest words in the English language, default. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, hindsight is, uh, well, once you watch the entire pay-per-view, it kind of makes sense, but I've got to be honest, I just thought it was a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, well, it doesn't get any better as the show goes on. Dusty cuts a promo saying he's worried about Sapphire. And Dopey Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes in and goes, Oh, no, I haven't seen her, Dust, but I'll let you know if I, if I see her. We're all looking for her. Thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot. That's his biggest contribution of the year. <laughs> we then go to the Warlord versus Tito Santana. And speaking of guys that didn't really pan out to what they could have been, how fucking awesome was the Warlord? Yeah, it, to be honest, he reminds me a lot. He reminded me a lot of Austin. Uh, I get that a lot. I don't see it, but yeah, I do hear that a lot. 
Yeah, I, I was watching it, and I don't mean like I mean wrestling styles are kind of different, but it, just the look and sort of like the no nonsense. I, I, I don't know what it was. It sort of like just thought he he he, he had something slightly better than just generic hoss. I I really liked him. Unfortunately, he gets a jobber entrance here, and he's already on the way down. Yeah. Um. So Tito, um. His second pay per view in a row. He's taking on a member of the Powers of Pain. They're not. They're not together anymore. Um, but he he took on the Barbarian at WrestleMania six. Not long after it, they had broken up. It's feet, speed versus power early on in the match with Tito playing a bit of cat and mouse. He hits a few drop kicks. The Warlord hits a slam. Um, he slams the back of Tito's. Uh, slams the back of Tito. The Tito's back into the ring post. Uh, hits a clothesline for a two. Tito comes back with a flying forearm, but Warlord gets his foot on the ropes and then hits a running power slam for the one, two, three, picking up a good victory for the Warlord over a credible opponent. Not too bad, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, did what it need to. And uh, if they're, if they're going to put the Warlord over, they, they you can't stretch it out that long. It doesn't make sense. He, no, definitely not. Yeah, Warlord should punch you and then that's it kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, just ask, just for, ask Ricochet about it. Yeah, that's the best way to go, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, it's just unfortunate that all these um, old guys squashing young guys, Roman just seems to keep avoiding it. I don't know how it happens. Yeah, it's just a miracle. Just, you know, coincidence, I guess. It must be. Because, I mean, everyone else has, actually, uh, has dealt with it. It must be his time at WrestleMania. I don't know, like... I don't really watch a lot of current wrestling. I watch the Royal Rumble every year, and I generally watch Mania or flick through it. I watch most of the takeovers, although the last takeover didn't do it for me. Um, not because of match quality. The Keith Lee match was amazing, but it like I blew my load on that match and didn't want to watch any more wrestling afterwards, and it was the opener. I do find that with takeovers that uh, y- you get a great starter. Your main course is uh, pretty good, but I'm just too full for the pudding. Yeah, I mean, if the opener has a kick out on a top rope Spanish fly, it's probably going to be a long show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not building from the start, is it? It's, it's, uh, people late further down the card don't really have a lot more to give. No, definitely not. But um, that's 2020 and we're in 1990. Um, we're 30 years apart. So we're going to have an ad for the Survivor Series and this will this show will be where we see a debut of a young upstart known as The Undertaker. Yeah, it's 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 great to know that knowing we've just seen Mean Mark in his panties in the skyscraper, and it's like <laughs> there's you just look at him in uh, WCW and you think, man, yeah, he's gonna have an okay career. He's gonna have a job. He'll make money, but there's nothing really to 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 separate him from any other big man, and certainly if if the company's got Sid. You know, Sid versus Mean Mark. Who who, who are you going to pick? It's not going to be Mean Mark. But the the job he does with Undertaker uh, from the get-go is uh, it's actually one of probably wrestling's greatest sort of like characters, but also the person doing it. it, 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 it it's lightning striking, really, twice with that. Definitely. And speaking of great characters, we go to Sean Mooney with Demolition. Um I'll splice a little bit of this promo in here for you because I always love me a bit of Demolition. Well, joining me now, Demolition, Axe, Smash, and, and Crush. Gentlemen, I thought that this two out of three false title defense 
restricted the presence of only two members of Demolition at SummerSlam. You didn't read a fine print, Mooney. It says only two Demolition at ringside. But which two, Mooney? Yeah, is it me and Axe? Or me and Smash? Is that me and Crush or me and Smash? Maybe it's me with Axe, or maybe it's me with Crush. Gentlemen, I I'm getting a little confused. Well, that's the idea. You're catching on, but it's too late for the Hart Foundation to catch on. We're demolition, and just like the name says, we're going to demolish the Hart Foundation. Just like we've demolished every tag team that's gotten in our path. Well, certainly standing in your path, should you be successful here tonight, would be your next challengers, the Legion of Doom. Hey, they're just a couple of second-rate imposters who need their butts kicked and their teeth kicked down their throat. Just like the Hart Foundation. Come on, boys. I uh, I, I particularly like watching Repo Man. Uh, he, the faces he pulls because he doesn't know what quite. I don't think he quite knows what to do when he's not talking. So he's like, he's forever shaking his head, smiling, sticking his tongue out. It, it, Bit of uh, horse, like duck lips. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's like there. And of course, the greatest theme song in the history of wrestling brings him out to the ring. Uh, I just absolutely adore the Demolition theme song. Seriously, it's got to be top, at least top ten, but probably top five ever wrestling theme songs. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's definitely in my top ten. So Crush and Smash enter. The whole basis of their promo was which two Demolition is it going to be, and they didn't give it away. Before the match starts, we go backstage again, uh, and it's Gene with the Heart Foundation. This is where Brett drops probably the corniest line of his whole career. Just like Phil Collins said, it's going to be two hearts beating as one. Oh, yeah, it was a bit cringy. <laughs> um, Demolition try and cheat, but Anvil comes in and hits a double elbow. Vince telegraphs the end by saying, it's hard to tell the Demolition apart. Like, no, it's not, and it never has been, Vince. We know where this is going. Um, we get a good back and forth with both teams, lots of tags. Demo get the anvil out the ring, and then they hit the demolition device on Brett and pick up the one, two, three for the first fall. Um, didn't see that coming. Um, but yeah, there it is. Crush then hits a um, half a choke slam on Brett, and then we get Smash in for a back suplex who works over Brett some more. There's meant to be a rest period, but demolition didn't really adhere to it too well. Before Brett finally hits a hot tag, Anvil comes in, power slam for a two, heart attack, but Crush stops the referee, earning a DQ. I'm not sure what the point of that was when it's going to be the same outcome. He probably could have just broke up the pin, but yeah, that's what he did. That was wrestling logic kind of blown out, so it didn't make any sense. Like, why? Why? If, if, the, uh, if the end result is going to be they get a pin, if you get DQ'd, then why would you do it? Indeed. It's kind of like having a pop at a referee in football after he's already given a penalty and sent your man off and just winding him up for the rest of the game. Like, you've already been punished. Just let it go for now. It's, again, it's they don't want to pin... Uh, they don't want to pin demolition, so they yeah. have to give him a DQ. But then that... In a way, then it's like, well, well, Axe and Brett got a, a, a fall for nothing. It was like a free fall. I, I've never understood this thing about wrestlers. I don't want to be pinned, but I'll happily look like a fucking moron. It makes no sense. I, I, I will take any opportunity to look like a complete and utter twat. Well, can we pin you? No. <laughs> Definitely not. It'll destroy my bondage and face paint gimmick. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, he nails Brett in the back of the head before the restart. And then Axe, we see Axe is hiding under the ring. 
Naito hits a power slam. Um, Bret Hart gets on the crush, but Smash makes a save. Axe and Smash swap, so Axe is now in and Smash is under the ring. He's fresh. Um, he's in for a little while, and then they swap again. So you go through two falls, or you wrestle for two minutes. I know Axe is injured here, but it just kind of made them look stupid again. LOD come out, and they drag Axe out of the ring. There's a big melee, and the Hearts do the jock and nerd shoulder block and pick up the one, two, three. Again, the crowd's red hot for the title change. And this match overall, despite the couple of flaws we mentioned, is pretty fucking awesome. And any match that involves Demolition, the Heart Foundation, and Legion of Doom has a big seal of approval for me. Yeah, I'll take that. It was uh, really enjoyable, logic aside. Although, uh, I mean, the thing is with the sort of doing the twin magic, it was like when the Bellas were doing the twin magic after one of them had their uh, their assets enhanced. And it's like they don't even fucking look the same. <laughs> and they're twins. Let alone... When- Fucking... The twin magic failed to work when one of them paid a lot of money for new twins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking, like, the no member of Demolition looks like another member of Demolition. No, definitely not. Um, yeah. But, yeah, other than that, really, really great stuff, and oh. I genuinely loved it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, action, I mean, it, it, it's just Demolition did a bit of brawling. Art Foundation did a bit of Heart Foundation. It was great. We get a commercial for WrestleMania 7. Needless to say, they're advertising a venue that won't go ahead for stuff that's been mentioned many times over the years that we don't need to go into. And then Jeans with the LOD who say they want demolition. The hearts come in. I'll splice a little bit of this in here. All right, we are back down to the locker room. This is a political year. And to tell you the truth, ladies and gentlemen, I would hate to be an incumbent. My goodness, the way World Wrestling Federation titles are falling tonight, first with the new Intercontinental title, and now two tag team, new tag team champions, these gentlemen, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, what in the world were you doing out of the ring? Let me tell you something, Gene, week after week after week, we've come out here and said, we want demolition, and you ignored us, demolition, well now, we hope you're mad, we hope you're good, man, because demolition, we want you in the worst way, tell them You've been running roughshod over everybody. Well, if you look roughshod up in the dictionary, you'll see a picture of us. You're micro mini men in a big man's world, and we're the big men. What a rush! A rush for us! A bum trip for you! Hey, 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 wait a minute! All of a sudden, new tag team champions, Brett the Hitman Hart, against against all odds. We'll take on anybody, baby. The Hart Foundation, the Peking Bucks, is back. Yeah. Brett the Hitman Hart. We're not gonna hide behind these belts. We're not gonna hide behind these belts. We'll take on anybody, anytime, anywhere. Where's the champagne? Belongs to the people. Right, (laughs) Apple. Right, Hitman, baby. Against all odds. Two on two, three on three, ten on ten, whatever. Wait a minute. Now, now, just exactly how does the Legion of Doom fit into the scheme of things? The Legion of Doom fits in any way they want. And you ask about the champagne? Listen, we ain't got no woes to drink away. Demolition does, Gene. All right, uh, gentlemen, I've got to tell you, a lot of action out of that ring. I couldn't make heads or tails of half the things that were happening. The one thing I know for a fact is that we have brand new tag team champions, <laughs> Brett the Hit Bad Heart, Jim the Animal Night Heart. You've smelled the roses before. Recapturing the titles after the demolition at SummerSlam. Let's go out to the arena and Vince McMahon. 
basically a big celebration, uh, all the faces loving it, and then we get sent back to Sean Mooney, who's got who drew the uh, the bum number because he's got to try and interview Demolition, but he's unsuccessful. Um, this must be intermission here because we rapid fire go into a bunch of different promos around the traps. Yeah, yeah, the, the intermission period. I, I I would rather take it than the uh, the so called cool down match that they chuck on now, which uh, allows everyone to go get beer and t shirts. Can you imagine mm. being told that? Right, you've got a match at WrestleMania. All right, when is it? Right in the middle. How long have I got? <laughs> About 10 minutes. Uh, who am I against? Well, it doesn't matter. No one's going to watch it. <laughs> well, to be fair, right in the middle is four or five hours in, so people have probably had a nap and come back by then these days. Jesus, I mean, the length of WrestleMania. I'd have gone back to the hotel and got a change of fucking clothes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeans with Sherry, um, not really that big of a deal. She's not one of Sherry's better promos. And we run down the card a little bit, uh, what's remaining. Jeans with the big boss man, who's going to uphold justice in the main event and in the um, Bad News Brown versus Jake Roberts match. Sean Mooney's with Duggan and Nikolai, uh, nothing to write home about there. Jeans with the Earthquake, Dino and Jimmy Hart. Um, and <laughs> the line of this from Earthquake was Hulk Hogan was dead until Tugboat barged in. <laughs> I assume no pun intended, but it tickled me pink. <laughs> I, I, I love Earthquake because he, he's he just looks a nice bloke. I, I can't take him as a heel. It's just he, I don't know if it's because I've read stuff on online about how he was uh, a pretty friendly fella. All in all, it's got to be I, your wrestle crap thing, I think, because yeah. he they got on really well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it must be. So, so I think it's. Uh, I think he probably was scary at the time, but right now he just looks like like. Well, you couldn't have a beer with him. I mean, he'd be dusty, but <laughs> he's probably yeah. parched. But uh, he's uh, <laughs> he, he yeah yeah. I, I like a bit of earthquake. Same. He was good. Um, Mooney's with Jake again. Not one of his better promos, but not bad as always. And then we go to Bad News Brown with Jake, the boss man's a referee. Um, snakes versus sewer rats, which is a weird storyline, but they were fond of a. Um, an occupation and an animal in the nineties in WWF. It, 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 we're just getting to the point where it tips from uh, certain gimmicks into everyone's got a job. We're just yeah. we're just on the cusp. We get a hip toss from Bad News and a leg drop. Jake goes for the DDT early and Bad News powder is a typical uh, Jake spot in this day and age. We had a chair to the ribs, which Bossman doesn't DQ over weirdly. A clothesline. Roberts comes back with a neat lift and the short clothesline, which is always the setup, but bad news backdrops out of the DDT this time. Jake's been selling the back injury all match. Um, not sure if it's legitimate or not, to be fair, but he is doing a great job selling. Bad news hits a chair again, and Bossman finally does DQ him, but then turns his back to bad news, the big dummy, and bad news attacks him. Jake saves the referee with bringing the snake in and bad news hauling out of the ring. So not a good match, this one. This was a bit of a down point on the show for me. Yeah, I don't think we've actually seen a good bad news match uh, since we've been doing this run. I don't know if that's because uh, what he was asked to do, he didn't quite agree with uh, and, again, wouldn't lay down. So I think we've seen quite a few of these kind of finishes that I was just like, oh, there's bad news. Well, this is not going to end, is it? No, I just wish they'd have um, bad news and Duggan in a long, long program. That way the two people that won't job will just be together forever. Yeah, just in an eternal wrestling match. Indeed. 
Um, from there, we go to the Brother Love Show, and he's bringing out Sergeant Slaughter, or as he's known here, Drill Sergeant Slaughter. That doesn't last for long. It's too big of a, a mouthful. Um, he's pretty fucking big, though. Yeah. Uh, all I wrote for this is I fucking hate Brother Love. I just, I, I just think it's shit, and I can't get past that. And then this, uh, I found that this uh, this segment just dragged on for no apparent reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, the Brother Love shows on pay-per-view were always a bit of a down point. Um, it's what the, the real only highlight line of this was um, Slaughter talking about Nikolai Volkov being a face. Can you imagine America opening its arms to a pinko kami? Um, it's far too political for my taste. Yeah, it's uh, especially given the uh, <laughs> looking outside of uh, the WWF at that point, it's pretty much when uh, Pastroika and the walls coming down. So you're probably going to get quite friendly. Yeah, Donald um, Trump likes them. <laughs> Anything to do with a wall, Trump likes. So. Yeah. Um, the idea of a slaughter Nikolai Volkov feud um, really fills me with dread. Um, Slaughter also says Saddam would kick the USA's butt. Um, history proved you wrong on that one, Slaughter. You were many things, uh, Slaughter, but you're wrong on that, and it won't be too long till you're crying and wanting your country back. <laughs> that I can't wait for. Um, Mooney's now with the Orient Express, Orient Express even, and Mr. Fuji. Uh, they cut, get cut short to go to Gene, who's having a door slammed in his face by Sapphire. So that show long storyline continues we go to our next match which is the Orient Express versus Volkov and Hacksaw and the Orient Express are another team that were underrated um, and deserve better than these two clowns yeah yeah I don't know what they were thinking here at all <laughs> the baby faces sing God Bless America in the ring minus 10 stars this is now awful um, I'm just writing here why the fuck can't the heels jump them during the singing when the heels always get jumped during their own singing Please stop this carnage. Um, get yourselves over. It, oh, it was just... Oh, God, it was awful. We get stereo atomic drops from the faces in a USA chant. Um, the heels cheat and double-team Volkov. We get a lukewarm tag. Duggan comes in and hits a double clothesline and beats them both down on his own. Three-point stance, clothesline, one, two, three. At least it was short because this was shite. Complete shite. Uh, just, there's... There is allegedly good Jim Duggan matches out there, but I have not seen them. No, and there are definitely bad ones, and we have seen many. We've seen them in many different companies, I think. We next go to Dusty Rhodes and the Macho Man. Um, Before we go into the match, Sean Mooney is with Macho, who cuts a bit of a cheesy ladder promo backstage. Um, Nothing great for the Macho. And that really sums up this whole feud. Two of the better wrestlers at the time in a pretty lukewarm, lame feud. Um, Macho gets his big chair entrance, which is why he was up a ladder. Um, We get Ted at the... Like, you know the stage where they do the interviews back in the day? Um, it's just up the ramp and to the right a little bit. Um, and he announces that he's bought Sapphire. Dusty Rhodes comes up the aisle, but the Macho Man jumps him. Uh, they exchange strikes. Dusty Rhodes hits a drop kick. Sherry interferes. Hands Macho a loaded purse. Who names Dusty for the one, two, three? Um, how the fuck can this not even get five minutes in the ring? Like, that's just atrocious. Two of the best, and they couldn't get five minutes on pay-per-view. But we had time for Bad News and Jake and the Orient Express versus Nikolai and Hacksaw. Plus the uh, overlong Brother Love uh, fucking segment. 
Absolutely. Uh, Dusty chases a limo out, and it's pretty lame. Not one of the better things they've done. But one of the better things they have done was the Earthquake Hulk Hogan angle, where Quake put Hogan on the shelf. Obviously, he was off filming No Holds Barred. But really, really good angle. And now we've got a couple of promos to start with. We've got Hogan and the Boss Man. Um, they dedicate this match to the Tugster. Yes, that's what they call him. And um, one of the things I've noticed going back and watching these shows, Richie, is Hogan cuts his promo, but then and he supposedly walks from there for his entrance, and he's wearing a different bandana. Yes, he, he doesn't understand the concept of continuity. No, he does not. So that was definitely interesting. Um we get pre-tapes as well. Um, the crowd are really white hot. Quake overpowers Hulk early on. Hogan tries to um, slam him, but it's too soon. A staple of the Hogan versus Big Man matches. Um, strikes, but Quake is staying on his feet. The wind-up punch, and he does go down, and the crowd erupts. Bossman and Hulk Hogan do um, double boots, so no DQ on this one, which is quite weird. Um the ref is with the big boss man, and the heels get to double team, uh, double slam. That's Dino and Quake. We get an elbow for a two. Quake goes up top. Um, obviously, it it comes off with an axe handle, and then puts on a Boston Crab. Uh, Hulk gets Hulk gets to the ropes. Dino hits a slam to Hulk on the floor. He tries to slam Quake, but Quake lands on him. Another staple of Hogan matches against a big man, and then we get the big bear hug. Hogan. Um, Rips Earl's shirt in trying to grab out to get out of the bear hug. Quake hits him with a power slam and then a splash for a uh, couple of splashes, actually. Uh, the earthquake splash, that is not a big splash. And Hogan no-sells it like he always does. Hulk up, boot, slam, leg. Um, but then there's a melee with everyone involved. Hogan slams Earthquake on a table, which was crazy for 1990. And we get a count-out victory for Hogan, which at least kept Earthquake strong, if nothing else. Quake then comes in and... Um, Hits a lifting choke on Hogan, but Bossman grabs a metal chair. Um, it's kind of like a... It looks like a, um, a stepladder more than a chair and beats the ever-loving piss out of Earthquake's back to the point where it welts up massively. This was pretty fucking cool, to be fair. Yeah, yeah I thought I really enjoyed this match and I really enjoyed the uh, the table bit. I didn't realise Hulk Hogan had invented hardcore. No, definitely not. <laughs> um... We then get a um, Sean Mooney with, sorry, with uh, Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. We get a really good serious promo from them both. Gene is then with um, Dusty Rhodes, who's fired up and going after Ted. They really wasted Dusty in the, in the Fed, obviously. Lord Alfred uh, is at ringside and tells us the record for getting the cage built for our main event is 8 minutes 42, and they're trying to beat it. We go to Gene with Hogan. Um, He's going to beat the Quake up and down until Tunney makes him the number one contender. Sean Mooney's with Quake, Jimmy Hart, and Dino. Really great shouty promo. Um, I, I just absolutely love it. Um, I, I also put here, Richie, like, why do I love the idea of a boss man earthquake back and forth in the Fed, but absolutely hate Big Bubba versus John Tenter in WCW? Because Big Bubba and John Tenter suck balls and Earthquake and Big Boss Man are fucking awesome. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Gene is with Ultimate Warrior, and all I can say is cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah. <sighs> it's I'll slice it. some of this in for everyone to hear, but fuck me. I, I, I just, you just, there's nothing, you can't write it down because it, it, it's, not, it's not a language. 
in the presence of the World Wrestling Federation champion, the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, do you know what Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan have in common with the Liberty Bell? Well, well, no. Uh, one is cracked, and the other is a ding-dong. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, your destiny lies before you. Just as our forefathers trudged straight into the unknown, so you too must take another step in your reign as the World Wrestling Federation champion into a virtual unknown. That being a 15-foot-high steel cage. And you take that trek knowing full well that the man you meet inside the cage has once before defeated you. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary to protect my inalienable right to be the World Wrestling Federation Champion. I must do what our forefathers have always done. Never afraid to face an adversary. Always willing to step into a new frontier. Always willing to make a sacrifice. And you, Red Crude, will not be able to prevent the establishment of a more perfect union between me and my warriors. For the sacrifice that we are prepared to make against an adversary is far greater than anything you could ever know. We don't fear the unknown of a new frontier, Rick Rude. We revel in it. It is these things that are the lifeblood of the ultimate nation, and it is these things that are the lifeblood of the ultimate warrior. <laughs>Indeed. And we go to our main event, which is Rick Rude taking on the Ultimate Warrior for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, one of the worst overdubs on the network I've ever seen over Rick Rude's entrance. It really fucking sucks. It's so bad it blocks out the commentary so you don't hear anything during his entrance. I don't understand what part of Rick Rude's music could be that offensive that they have to overdub it. I, I never got that one. Um, the Warrior comes out, and he is over. So to all this bullshit about, our oh, Warrior wasn't cutting it, man, listen to the crowd when he comes out here. He was definitely over. Oh, he's, he's getting a massive pop. They're certainly not bored of him at this point. No. They brawl up on top of the cage as Warrior's trying to get in, and then he comes off the top rope with an axe handle. Um, Piper is burying the Ultimate Warrior on commentary, calling him dumb, inexperienced, doesn't have the the right to um, be champion. He prances like a pony. I don't understand what Pipe is trying to do here, but he, he just goes to town on the Warrior. Either he doesn't like him, or uh, he's, he's kind of breaking the, the heel rule, the heel commentator rule, which is say the basically pick all the faces' good points and say they're bad, so the face still looks good. Absolutely, it's just really poor commentary on his part. His part. He might as well uh, have just said, Ultimate Warrior is a lazy twat, and then left it. He couldn't have buried yeah. him any more than that. Rude gets busted open from a cage shot before getting into control for a minute. Uh, he gets some cage shots of himself, and we get a we get a slugfest. Warrior hits a clothesline, and get, uh, Rude gets his knees up on the splash. We get a Rude awakening. He goes up to the top of the cage, but instead of leaving, jumps from the top of the cage and hits a fist drop to the standing Warrior. Really, really cool spot. <laughs> 
Yeah, love that. I wasn't expecting it either. He goes up again and tries it again stupidly, but this time Warrior hits him with a gut punch on the way down. Heenan slams the door into the Warrior. Uh, this allows he, uh, Rude to get a two. He then crawls towards the outside, but Warrior drags him in and exposes his bare ass. We get an atomic drop to Bobby Heenan, who had come into the ring, and then three clotheslines and a press slam on Rude, and he climbs out, um, shaking his hips on the cage, a la the Rick Rude dance before dropping to the floor. Um, average match, to be fair, but at least the crowd were into it, and it wasn't terrible. I, you know, overall enjoyed it more than I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't expecting... I mean, I, I mean you're not expecting that much out of a 1990s cage match in comparison to what we've been trained to see now, but... It was, well, it was far better than the one I watched on Thursday between Corbin and uh, Roman Reigns. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's got it's got that going for it. I, 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 I thought it was odd the way that uh, Rick Rude... I always got the feeling when I watch these matches that you know Rick Rude isn't going to win. And I don't mean it because you know it already, but he just doesn't... It's a bit like when uh, Bossman and Big Show were feuding over the... World Heavyweight Championship in the back end of 99. You just, it's like, nah, Bossman ain't going to win this feud. And I, I just got that feeling with Rick Rude. Yeah, I agree. Um, anything to do with Warrior not drawing definitely had to do with all the best heels being saved for Hogan. Um, imagine if the earthquake angle happened with the Warrior and was for the title. That would have been absolutely over like crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is true that, uh, the, the the warrior run is completely well. It's not overshadowed. It's kind of overshadowed because Hogan is still the main attraction. It's it's like when they put a belt. Even now, they I mean, what they do it's not something they they haven't done for the past thirty years. They put the belt on someone, but then the belt somehow gets devalued, and the star that lost the belt still stays the the star. I think Cena and Punk's a good example of that. But there's been plenty of others. They're just the belt suddenly becomes less important. This is one of the shows that, as a kid, made me really despise Hulk Hogan. Um, it just pissed me off that, like, if you look at from WrestleMania 1 through 8, plus the Survivor Series SummerSlam and Royal Rumbles that happened in that time period, there were only ever two double main events, and both of those were just shows where Hogan wasn't in a title match. Yeah, yeah, it... it... It's like it's like there's been you know thirty pay per views since we started pay per view, and you've not been in the title match for like two of them, and you had to be the co main event. Like just fucking let someone else have a turn, you prick. Yeah, it's not like they're not going to come back to you, and you're still earning money. I'll... Absolutely, like WrestleMania seven with Hogan and Slaughter, the best match by far on that show with the best storyline, the best build was Warrior and Savage retirement match, and that wasn't billed as a double main event. No, no. I mean, they're they're firmly back in well upper mid card at that point. So, 
hello everyone from the future. Um, by the sound you just heard, you may have guessed we had a few technical difficulties. Actually, completely at my end, as Richie's audio for the ranking stayed entirely intact and mine disappeared. Um, rather than redo the entire episode for the synopsis, I'm going to very quickly run through the rankings. Apologies to Richie for not doing him any justice. But when it came to production values, we both went with the WWF. Um, miles ahead, the video, the opening video was really all you need to see. For Crowd Heat, we both went WWF, um, 19,000 versus 6,000, I think, from memory. Um, Storylines, we both went with WCW. We felt the Sting storyline was probably far superior than anything that happened on the WWF show, even though both shows advanced a few stories. For characters, we went with the WWF. 1990 WWF had so many main events from around the country on the show, it was hard to go any other way. And Richie felt the WWF had better matches. I went with a tie because I couldn't pick it between the two. Um, I then thanked Richie very much for being on because he's a charming and lovely co-host whenever he joins me. Told you all to leave me a five-star review, of which every single one of you will ignore, and wished you all a very good day and rambled on about some upcoming shows. You won't be sorry you missed any of it at my end. Maybe Richie's comments you may be sad you missed. Otherwise, thank you all for listening once again. See you all down the road.